This podcast contains content and language not suitable for some listeners. Welcome to Oddities and Curiosities, a podcast about murder, the paranormal, and other oddities sure to pique your curiosity. We are Amanda. And someone. (laughs) I I think it's Brittany. She looks like Brittany. She sounds like Brittany. But. It's a weird fucking day, friends. I don't understand what just happened (laughs) during sound check. There were some songs. Uh, <laughs> a little sound of music, a little uh, La Bamba. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what just happened. Um, hi, hi. It's episode seventy-one. Yep, Christmas two point Yep, that's what I called it. Yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Works for me. Yeah, I didn't really have an official one there. So, um, m- Merry Christmas and stuff. Merry holiday season. Yeah. Yeah. All of the politically correct. Yeah. Whatever people say nowadays. Yeah. I don't know. Merry holidays. (laughs) (laughs) Merry whatever you celebrate. (laughs) There you go. I like it. We like it all. We're here for all of it. Yeah. Um, I'm here for the hump day treat too. Yep. Because it's hump day. I wish I was taking a picture of that. Oh. See, it's moments like this. I wish we videoed it. No. <laughs> For a second, I forgot we were recording. <laughs> but it made a funny face. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't have my phone at the ready. I'm just not living life right. I don't know. I'm so glad you're not. <laughs> For one time, I'm glad you're not. Okay, well, <laughs> this week's hump day treat, mm-hmm. I made two stops yeah, for you, you guys, did. two stops. Mm-hmm. So my first stop after work today was to the lovely Julianne's Bakery. Yes. And I told the girl I wanted some of their most popular Christmas treats, and she hooked me up. So we have... I call them pedophores. Yes. I think that's what they're called, right? That's what I call them. Tiny cakes. Tiny tea cakes. Yeah. We got some red velvet and some vanilla, and mm. they are both delicious. Um, I want... I can't even talk. The red velvet. That's my favorite. It's great. I love red velvet. Mm. And then some really cutely decorated gingerbread cookies. They're decorated like snowmen. And, and they're so good. It's not your typical gingerbread cookie. No, it's not. They are so soft. They're not hard. Like the one time you don't want some. I don't like crunchy gingerbread cookies. There you go. Crunchy. Mm-hmm. Let me say crunchy. Yeah. Crunchy. Okay. Yeah. Ain't it's nothing so good. Ain't nothing crunchy about these cookies. No. <laughs> they're really good though. So, um, thank you, Julie Ann's. Yes. And then I made a stop at. What is a Shreveport staple that mm. I've never been to? What? I didn't tell you that. Yeah. No. I've never been there. I've never been to Tony's. Shut up. So I went to Tony's Liquor Ugh. to get these eggnog daiquiris that I've heard so much about. Mm-hmm. I'm not a huge eggnog fan. 
But the daiquiris are pretty good. I got an extra shot in it, so they stout. Oh yeah, baby, they stout. They're. I should have warned you. They're already stout by themselves. <sighs> yeah, when I the didn't dude said, about it. "Do you want an extra shot?" <sighs> I was like, "Sure." Did you get to meet Bubba? Was Bubba there? I don't know. No, not no. You described him to me before. No, I met a very older man with white hair. Okay. And a younger man about my height mm-hmm. with black hair. Mm-hmm. I think that's his <laughs> nephew. But they were both very nice and helpful. And they made sure, like, a lot of people came in at the same time as me. They weren't busy when I got there, but, like, a lot of people walked in at the same time. Yeah. And they made sure to say hi to everybody. Oh, and yeah. And make sure that they was multitasking for reals. They were making sure they were doing more than one thing at a time and getting everybody situated. So, it was I a good experience, yeah. They catered, not catered, they were um, the liquor people at my daughter's wedding. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. That was Super good. awesome That people. was good cocktails. I love them. Yeah. That was good yeah. They, it was good. Oh, yeah, you were there. I was there. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, there's your treats. Happy humping. And, yeah. We are um, leaving you for a little bit after this one. Oh, yeah. Last one before break. And then the next episode will come out the first Wednesday of January. Yeah, because Wednesdays are the best. Yes. On Wednesdays, we wear pink. Yeah. Have you started watching Wednesday yet? No, I'm going to binge it while we're on break. Yes. It's so fucking good. Have you watched all of it? Nope. I'm on episode six. Okay. How many episodes are there? Eight. Okay. Well, don't, don't tell I me I won't about spoil it. it for you, but it's really, really, really good. Oh, man. Oh, my God. I'm getting Asin everywhere. Asin? Asin. She said Asin. Well, um, I'm from the South. That's what happens. I know. It's cute, though. <laughs> <laughs> because I've heard you say it properly as well. Well, um, you know, people have commented on that before. Mm-hmm. When I'm thinking about what I'm saying, <laughs> I can say everything properly. Yeah. I can speak very well. But when I'm not paying attention, when I'm comfortable or intoxicated or upset, so I'm talking real fast. Yeah. That's when the Southern comes out. I've been told I get a little valley girlish. That you do, my love. Mm. That you do. I'm so sorry. (laughs) But hey, y'all are still here. Yeah. I just looked at the title of your case. Mm -hmm. Can you say it? Nope. <laughs> Futered? <laughs> no, it's French, so I know that's not right. But mm, yeah, that ain't how you futard. say that. Futard, futard, that, ma'am, <laughs> ma'am, fuetar, fuetar, ooh, hair fuetar. Okay. Oh yeah, so that's what mine's on. Yeah, that's one. That's one. She's doing two, two. <laughs> I'm doing two. Tag team back again, <laughs> ma'am. <laughs> Okay, so for my Christmas (laughs) 2.0, I chose two different uh, French anti-Santas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So my story, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Hans Trap and Père Poitard. Okay. Foodered. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. It'll be all right. So, for as long as there has been a jolly old Saint Nick giving gifts to well-behaved children, there has been someone or something else filling the role of his counterpart and punishing the naughty ones. Okay. And it's pretty much everywhere in the world except for the States. 
Why don't we have anything cool like that? I don't know. I don't know. Ooh, let's just invent one. Let's start it up. Okay, I'm going to put you on that task. Okay, I'll do that during break. (laughs) That's what I'll do. You're going to invent America's anti-Santa. Yes. Okay, I'm here for it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) These fearsome figures range from the previously discussed iconic horned Krampus to Perchta, the shape-shifting Christmas witch who fills naughty children's bellies with straw. I did her last year. I know. (laughs) That was one of each of ours. Yeah, it was. (laughs) The terrifying Hans trap is possibly the worst of all. One story Mm. describes an instance in which he stabbed a child, sliced him into tiny pieces, and cooked and ate his flesh. Yeah, I'm going to... Yep. Hans sucks, y'all. Let's go look at one of the only pictures I could find and be sure that it was Hans Trap. So Hans Trap is the um, Christmas scarecrow. So that's what you're about to learn about. Creepers. It ain't cute. No, that is not cute. It ain't cute. I don't like it. Mm Mm-mm. And you don't um, even know yet. You don't even know. And you already don't like him. That's a good photo. I mean, drawing, though. Yeah. So the legend mm. of the Christmas scarecrow is well known in the French regions of Alsace and Lorraine. Okay. I think that's how you say those. That's what we're going with today. Okay. Hans Trapp, according to the story, lived in the 1400s. Mm. He was a rich, powerful, and merciless man who was feared by the people of Alsace. His want for power was so great that he made deals with the devil to enhance his power and status. After hearing about this, the Pope himself excommunicated Trap. <laughs> Afterwards, he was banished from Alsace and his wealth and lands were confiscated. This is nothing compared to what came next. <laughs> great. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Yeah, we're just getting started. Trap was reduced to building a makeshift home in the mountains of Bavaria in Germany. Because they kicked him out of France. <laughs> yeah, they- Wow. And dedicated himself to practicing black magic in the occult. Here, As one does out in mm. the middle of the woods. I mean, that's what I would do if the Pope excommunicated me. <laughs> I'll show him. Uh-huh. <laughs> Here he continued to wallow in anger and his evil desires. Mm. He ended up losing his mind from isolation. Hans went from obsessing over power to wanting revenge on those who wronged him. He began to develop a want to try the taste of human flesh. As one does when they're isolated sure. in the Bavarian mountains, no, I suppose. No, 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 Brittany. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> That's not how you do that? No. Okay. <laughs> he then became the scarecrow. Covered in straw as a disguise, he waited on lonely roads for a victim. That's kind of clever. And it so happened that a 10-year-old boy came across his path one day around Christmas mm-hmm. and Mm-mm. Trapp stabbed the poor shepherd's boy with a sharp stick. I don't like it. He carried the boy back to his lair. Trapp sliced it into pieces and roasted it. <laughs> but before he could eat... Okay, this is Cray. Listen. Thank you for the red velvet cake. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think about that. <laughs> no, I looked down at it and oh my God, thank you for... It's like flesh. You're welcome. We're eating flesh and bones here. Gingerbread men. <laughs> and people. That's We're eating little people. <laughs> I don't you, know why, but that made me think. <laughs> because we've been watching Christmas movies at my house on the Santa Claus when the teacher's like, Billy, we don't say stupid and we don't say elves. They're little, little people. people. <laughs> Fuck. Okay. <laughs> All right. Anyway, um, 
Uh, okay. <laughs> okay, I got something cray to tell you. Mm. But before he could eat, it was said something divine happened. <laughs> okay. God decided enough was enough and <laughs> struck him down with a lightning bolt. Depending on which version you read, he either hits his head on a rock and dies when he falls, or the bolt of lightning bursts his head open and kills him. I like the second one. <laughs> so, apparently, God got pissed and <laughs> was throwing lightning bolts. I guess that's just how that goes, so. <laughs> this is great! <laughs> why is it funny? <laughs> I know why I think it's funny. It's probably not the same reason you do. <laughs> Like throwing it like a dart, like it's funny to me because it's like the right. fact that he's like, man, that dude just did something fucked up. Bow. <laughs> <laughs> That's why that's funny to me. The red light went off. <laughs> so, <laughs> who fucking up? Who fucking up? Oh, oh, oh. oh. <laughs> all right. Here we go. See, get ready. Throw Ma'am, it. Ma'am, what is this? He's, he's, he's getting ready to throw it like a dart. He's. Look, he's going with jack off hands. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I'm going to hell. <laughs> a moment to appreciate Amanda's thought of God's jack off hands. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Today, naughty children are warned that Hans Trapp's spirit lingers on and that he may visit them in his scarecrow disguise if they don't behave. Nope. A popular boogeyman and a frightening tall tale, you may think, but nothing more than that, right? Oh, come on. Sadly, though, the story seems to have been inspired by the true tale of a real person. Oh, shit. So let me tell you about that. Okay. Okay. Hans von Trotha. Ooh. Yeah. Was a knight who lived from 1450 to 1503. Okay. He commanded two castles in the Palatine, which is the French-German territory, but became involved in an argument with the church over one of the properties. Mm. The abbot would not let go of certain properties to von Trotha, so the angry knight stopped the supply of water to the nearby town of Weisenberg with a dam. So he's punishing the town. Assholes. In retaliation, here, this is fucked up. Okay. You done fucked up, A. Abbott. (laughs) In retaliation, the Abbott had the dam destroyed, which flooded the villagers' homes and businesses. (laughs) The dispute, yeah. The dispute continued until, just as with Hans Trapp, the knight was summoned by the Pope himself and excommunicated. While there's no record of Vontrotha turning to cannibalism and hunting children <laughs> while dressed as a scarecrow, what we do know of Hans Vontrotha's life is still very interesting. Even excommunicated, Vontrotha did well for himself. Serving the French royal court, he was given the Chevalier d'Or. <laughs> Don't know what that is. Sure. By King Louis the Twelfth, right? That's a twelve. I don't know. X one one. That's a twelve. Yeah. Right? Yeah. All right. <laughs> And that's what we're going with. (laughs) After his death, all charges against him were reversed and forgiven. His notoriety lived on, though, and not only in Hans Trapp. 
Local legends also referred to him as the Black Knight, which I'm sure everybody's heard of. Yeah. Black Knight. Oh, yeah. A ghostly figure that was also sometimes said to accompany Santa Claus and punish children who were unworthy of gifts. Mm-hmm. Some stories of Hans Trapp painted him in a much nicer light, saying he regrets his life of sin. In these versions, he visits misbehaving children dressed as a scarecrow and tries to persuade them to be better than he was by scaring them into it. Yeah, that's the way to do it. <laughs> Most of the stories, though, say he goes around marking children he wants to eat on Christmas Eve. Oh, my God. How does he mark them? Uh, that's, I don't know that. Yeah. Okay. With a red it's, X. It's fine. Or maybe he just like maybe he just like sprinkles straw in their bed and they know that he's coming oh for them. Oh my god. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but that was uh Hans Trap. That was Christmas fantastic. <laughs> that was fantastic. I'm just picturing a watermelon exploding. <laughs> That's all I got from that. Literally cannot with you. <laughs> And my red velvet cake. <laughs> All right. Well, here's Great. another one for you. You ready for this one? Yeah. One of the craziest anti-Santas is without a doubt, northern and eastern France's Le Père Fouettard, or Father Whipper. <laughs> <laughs> I am freaking here for this. <laughs> All right. Let's go look at a picture. Okay. Here's a little drawing. Father Whipper. Oh. Uh... That would be screaming children in his bag. In He's a, scary. In a whip. His cuddle. In a whip. Is that a whip or are you happy to see me? <laughs> it's not placed well. <laughs> Just gonna whip it good. <laughs> uh, okay. That that's that. That's yep. that, that's uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> So like a mobster doing their boss's dirty work, <laughs> Le Père Fouettard set out into the cold December night to deal with the kids who have been naughty. Okay. Children are given a choice, presents, or a beating with a bag of ashes, as one version of the tale goes. You beat somebody with a bag of ashes? Yeah, ashes, ashes. Y'all fall down, but just... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that came from. I don't know. That was fantastic. <laughs> we were putting that on a shirt. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> on a Christmas shirt. Yes. We we'll, to- we'll put his picture on there. <laughs> or one that says the whole gang's here and have like fucking Krampus <laughs> and perched up. Oh my and, god! Yeah, it'd be like one Merch of those comic book square. T-shirts, yes! but it's all the... The whole gang. We're doing here. it. We're uh-huh. doing it. TM'd it. And it's going to say that on the back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. All right. So here's some uh, French words I don't know. Okay. So, I don't know them either. Y'all so. bear with me. If you know them, keep it to yourself. Okay? I, you're in luck. <laughs> I was talking to the people. Don't come at me. I'm not French. <laughs> I'm... I'm from Northwest Louisiana. I don't know French. <laughs> we don't do that here. <laughs> I'm questioning whether or not I'm pronouncing pedophore right, okay? <laughs> don't at me. <laughs> Say Aurora. <laughs> Ar- Aurora. <laughs> That's fucked up. <laughs> it's fucked up. Okay. I couldn't resist. In... 
West Philadelphia. Nord, ma'am. <laughs> I'm trying to pronounce this hard word. It's got hyphens. <laughs> it's got hyphens. <laughs> hyphens. In Nord Pade Calais. Nice. I, I like it. We're going with it. Lorraine and Southern Belgium. That's a town, apparently. Lorraine okay. and Southern Belgium. On the night of December 5th, St. Nicholas leaves chocolates and sweets and shoes for the ones who have said their prayers, been good to their parents, and done their homework all year round. Oh, look, there's some good news sprinkled in there. Yeah, Santa does A little bit come. of happiness. While Krampus has featured in recent movies and risen in popularity, the story of Père Foytar is a whole other level of crazy and vicious. Okay. Not many seasonal tales focus on cannibalism, infanticide, and zombie kids. <gasps> but this one does. Zombie kids? Girl, I think you may have even topped the first one. Here we go. Okay. There are several origin stories. Can I just say? Okay. Like, this is fucked up. There are several origin stories that have become popularized. The first, which started to be told around 1150, involves an evil butcher who kidnapped three lost children, murdered them by slitting their throats, carved the meat up, and put it in a salting tub. Oh, my God. St. Nicholas turned up at the door. You know, not Santa, but St. Nicholas. Right. Turned up at the door, and the butcher attempted to apologize to his saintly visitor by offering him his best meat. <laughs> <laughs> Let me whip out my good meat for you. <laughs> See, that's not a whip. It's not a whip in the picture. It's not. <laughs> it's his best meat. <laughs> wow. <laughs> But instead, St. Nicholas resurrected the boys from the dead and sent them back to their parents. Seeing an opportunity for the butcher to repent his sins, the butcher became Father Whipper, a sort of eternal servant who basically acts as the bad cop to St. Nicholas's good cop. So, um, there's that. Another interesting version of Father Whipper relates to the 1552-53 to 53 siege of Metz. Part yeah. of, it's part of the war between France's Henry II and the Holy Roman Empire. The fighting lasted from 1551 to 1559. During the festive period, locals decided to burn an effigy of the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V and dragged it through the streets. Great. Fine holiday yeah. fun. <laughs> Fine holiday fun. A group of tanners created the Father Whipper character and based his physical appearance on the burnt effigy. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense now. So, why the name Father Whipper? Yeah, yeah. Le Père Foytar is often depicted or described as a disheveled-looking man in black robes, either a black or red beard, who carries a whip, ready to dole out beatings to naughty kids. He looks like something from a horror movie. Horror, horror, horror. movie. <laughs> <laughs> and is very much the stuff of nightmares. Although Father Whipper may be the devil incarnate, he's fair and impartial, and good children have nothing to fear from Santa's evil companion. Mm -hmm. There is a cultural, social, and religious through line in all these folk traditions. Toe the line, say your prayers, be good to your parents, and you'll be rewarded. If not, you'd better watch out. <laughs> you better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Because Pear Foytar is coming to whoop your ass. 
And that's the end of my story. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> oh my gosh. That was fantastic. Watermelon. I'm posting a video of a watermelon exploding. That's what I'm doing. I love that that's what you've taken from everything I've said. Is his head exploded. It's ingrained in there now. It will never leave it. It's in my brain. Let's hop on over to mine. Yes, I'm. This gingerbread is lit. <laughs> Open here. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, my turn. Okay. I don't have any folklore in mine, but it did take place on Christmas, so... That tracks. Okay. In 2013, Christmas Eve at Patricia Burns' house in Lake Luzerne, New York, ended in unimaginable tragedy. She was killed in the presence of her two daughters by her estranged oh, husband. Oh, no, no, no. Don't like that. Lake Luzerne in upstate New York is a camper's heaven. Plenty of water, woods, and beaches to attract New Yorkers looking to escape the city in the summer. Okay. It was also home for Patricia Burns, a beloved hospice nurse. She was a fireball of energy, but was plagued with one big problem. When it came to men... She couldn't seem to find a good one. Oh, poor Patricia. I feel you. <laughs> <laughs> Ma'am. <laughs> Let's go look at Patricia. Okay. Which, I mean, hey. Hey, girl, hey. Look at those baby blues. I know. Blue eyes and brunette hair. Mm-hmm. She's gorge. Yeah. So, then there was Patricia's rocky marriage to Clifford Burns. Clifford. Clifford. (laughs) He's not a big red dog. (laughs) It'd be better. He's a big something. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes, he is. At first, Clifford seemed like a great catch. He owned his own business. He was an avid fisherman and a diehard Mets fan. But in between trips to Times Square and rides on his custom motorcycle, this blended family filled with smiles was hiding a darkness behind closed doors. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. Let's go look at Clifford. Okay. There he is. Well, she was definitely too cute for him. Yep. I have nothing to say. I don't like him. Okay. I'm not here for that. So Megan, um, which was Patricia's daughter from a previous, she was only five when Clifford became her dad. She's now 30. The couple eventually had two girls together, Harley and Autumn. Okay. I guess my childhood was good and bad because we were fortunate enough to have like awesome Christmases and stuff and nice family vacations. But other times our family was just not so normal, said Harley. Cliff was deeply scarred from a childhood that could only be described as hell. Sadly, Clifford Burns would go from watching domestic violence as a kid to committing it as an adult. Oh, that hurts my heart. I hate that. He just had a lot of rage, says Megan. Victims of domestic violence will often say the same thing, that the years and years of fighting just become normal. Oh, I hate that. I have a picture of Megan and Patricia. Okay. They're so cute together. Oh, my goodness. 
The eyes. She got her mama's blue eyes. My God. I know. They're gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Look at her eyebrows. I oh, know. my God. That's a good picture. That's it is a, a really good picture. picture. They, they have the same smile. Mm-hmm. It's so cute. So then, out of nowhere, this family, already on the edge, was rocked by tragedy. One of Patricia's daughters, Cliff's stepdaughter, Crystalline, went to sleep one night and never woke up. Oh, my God. No drugs, no alcohol in her system. She was like the perfect 15-year-old girl, mm. said Harley. To this day, Crystalline's death still remains a mystery. But one thing is clear. In her moment of blinding sadness, Patricia finally saw what she had to do. She needed to get out. Oh, my goodness. Um, I have a picture of all of them at the funeral. Did she think he did something to her? I think I wonder, she just or realized, if it was just like, a maybe, moment of clarity. Yeah, I think it was just an epiphany. And she was like, oh, my God, my life, my life, my life. Okay, I got to start over. This douchebag has to go. Yeah. So if you want to go look at a picture of them, that's Patricia holding. She went blonde, mm-hmm. but there's Crystalline in the photo. And well, then she was gorgeous too. I know. Look, all of them are. They're all just so freaking cute. There's Harley, and then I don't a family friend in the green T-shirt, mm-hmm. and then there's Megan and Autumn. Okay, from left to right. But oh my god, yeah, it's so sad. Okay, all right. So here we go. Patricia told Cliff that she wanted a divorce, and she moved into an apartment above a hardware store. In a decision she now calls weird, Harley decided to not go with her mom and stay with her dad. At first, Harley says she felt safe because no matter how bad things got, he would never raise a hand to his daughters. But Harley soon learned that without Patricia around to feel the brunt of his anger, she became his target. Oh, no. He'd start talking about my mom, and then he would take it out on me and call me these nasty little names. After several months, Harley claims the verbal abuse became way too much. She decided to move back in with her mom and her younger sister, Autumn. Patricia's new boyfriend, Ted Bacchus, was arrested after assaulting Patricia, firing a gun into the ceiling, and then having a standoff with police. What the fuck? She did not... She couldn't find oh, a good man. Honey. She, her her picker's broken. Oh, no. Um, Ted eventually pleaded guilty to one misdemeanor count of discharging a firearm and received probation. Of course. Which was slapped with a court order not to see Patricia for three years. Okay. There, there's a reason. That's all he got. So months passed. The summer turned to winter. And as the snow fell, the Burns women were preparing for a peaceful Christmas, something they hadn't had in years. And then a text message arrived. I have a special gift for all of you. I hope that you're all there to see it, said Megan. The Burns women had started to put the abusive past behind them. Harley and her sister Autumn did not talk to their father. Okay. It was The text was from him. Yeah. It had been nearly eight months since Cliff Burns had communicated with his girls. But as the holidays approached, 14-year-old Autumn extended an olive branch via text message writing, I just wanted to tell you I love you and Merry Christmas. She just wants her dad as well. Uh, Like, they just, you know. I hate this story. Yep. His response was downright creepy. He said, I have a special gift coming soon, something for everyone to talk about, and it will be hand-delivered on foot, not by car. A very special gift. I hope all of your friends are there to see, especially Harley. Okay. Megan thought it was creepy, too, so she immediately showed it to her mother. 
Little Sister Autumn responded to her dad, Get it together. I know what you think you want to do, and believe me, that won't end well. The only reason you feel so sad is because of what happened to your parents. You haven't ever got the time to grieve. That must be pretty smart for a 14 year I mean, damn, girl. Mm-hmm. I think that everybody assumed he was going to come up there and beat up my mom, said Megan. Two days passed. It's now the evening of December 24th, Christmas Eve, 2013. Harley leaves to do some last-minute shopping with her friends. Patricia was in the kitchen preparing Christmas dinner when the devil arrived at her doorstep. He knocked on the door and swung it open, and she was backing into the wall. And I was like, oh, my God. And all of a sudden, I see somebody in full camo, even a mask, pushing Mom up against the wall, said Megan. Megan tried to help. She started punching him and jumped on his back and was screaming at him, but he wouldn't stop attacking her mom. Mm. And at this time, she wasn't aware of what he was doing and that he had a knife. Oh, my God. She saw her her mom was struggling and fighting, so she yelled for Autumn to call 911. But Cliff, with blind rage and armed with a giant hunting knife, continued his violent assault. At first, she didn't even realize that she had actually been cut as well. Oh, my gosh. Her arm was sliced wide open. She went into shock, and all she could think to do was to go get help. So she ran outside and actually tried to jump over a snowbank, and she got stuck oh, in it. Oh, no. Inside the house, the vicious attack was over. Autumn was still on the phone with the dispatcher describing everything about Clifford that she could to help them. His appearance, yeah. what you know, everything. Megan was still stuck stuck in the snowbank and was frozen with fear when Cliff made his way outside to her. Oh no. I have a photo of the house. Let's take okay. a little a little break. <clears throat> Go look at the house. It was snowing. Yeah. Well so, yeah, she got stuck in a snowbank. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's a cool house. Yeah. I hate the story. Yeah. This is terrible. I know. I'm just gonna try to get through it. Okay. But it was so, like, holy shit that, mm-hmm. you know. Yep. Fortunately, Megan's screams for help were heard by people at a nearby restaurant who came out to see what was going on and spooked him away. Thank goodness. Dripping blood everywhere, Ma- Megan managed to free herself and stagger back up the stairs into the apartment, and it wasn't good. Oh, no. I knew, said Megan. Once I saw blood coming from my mom's mouth, I knew that she wasn't going to make it. And she told Autumn, Autumn, you need to tell her how much you love her. Oh, my God. Miles away, Sister Harley was eating McDonald's with friends, laughing and having a good time when she started noticing some strange posts on her sister's Facebook page. They were like, Autumn, where are you? What's going on? Why are the cops at your house? So she called the house and got abstract sentences of what happened. It was like bits and pieces. Come, come quick. Mom's hurt. It It was weird. So they told her to go to the hospital and she got there, still not knowing how bad things really were. Doctors were feverishly working on stepsister Megan's badly slashed arm. The wound was so deep it reached the bone, narrowly missing an artery. Oh, my gosh. But for their mama, there wasn't anything that they could do. The nurse was like, she's in there, but you don't want to see her like this. And uh, Harley said, I don't care. I want to feel my mom's hand. I want to feel her warmth. (sighs) But it was too late. Her multiple chest wounds were too severe. Just after the incident, Burns got. We'll 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 take a turn, and um, go from sad to mad. Okay. Okay. Just after the incident, Burns got into his car and went on a high speed chase with authorities. 
He led them right into a parking lot at the Warren County Sheriff's Office in Lake George, New York. Okay. He pulled into the Sheriff's Department parking lot after a short high-speed chase, took off his camo jacket, and calmly waited. Warren County Under Sheriff Sean Lamery was the first person to spot him. When I brought him into the room, he was cooperative. I have things to talk about, and I want to talk to somebody I can trust. You seem like the guy. Can you talk to me? Oh, my God. What transpires in the next five hours inside this interrogation room is a Jekyll and Hyde tale. There are videos. Okay. He said, I just wanted to see my babies at Christmas. But then things got more aggressive. Burns starts by pointing the finger at the system. Do you understand what a man goes through, officer? I spend $250 a week on child support and couldn't see my kids because she put a court order against me. He was behind on payments, so he was about to be detained for it. So yeah, he, fuck you, dude. Yeah, pay your fucking child support. Burns certainly knew he was going to jail when he left home that night, leaving behind a note about who should get his assets. But he claims he didn't plan on killing anybody. Man, fuck off. Fuck you, sir. I have a, a picture of the note. Okay. There it is. He even signed it. Man, fuck I'll see dude. if I can find a better photo of it. That's fuck not grainy. that dude. Yeah. When somebody snitches, they cut you from the effing. I don't know. I don't. That doesn't make any sense. But it's a quote. So here we go. I was going to just cut her from the ear up. Chop her effing hair off. That's what I wanted to do to her face. Right up with an effing knife. Okay. Yeah. As for what happened when he arrived at the apartment, he claims he blacked out. In fact, several hours into the interview, he first hears that his estranged wife is dead. What? Blow my effing head off right now. Dude, shut up. Like, he got all dramatic. I don't want to live no more. Oh, my God. The majority of his fury is not pointed at Patricia, but rather her ex, Ted. He said he beat her up, put her in the hospital while his kids were there. Um, Sir. Look. Sir. Look at, look, look. I have that typed. Sir. Sir. What you just did was way worse. Shut the fuck up. He beat her up all the time. And, and then he just then fucking he killed her, her. Yes. And cut one of the kids. Dude. Yup. Yup. Ooh. Oh, I was, all I could write was, sir. <laughs> sir. <laughs> yup. Yup. Okay, so 10 months before the murder, that's when the gunfire in the ceiling happened and he pled guilty to a misdemeanor charge and got probation and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, it's because, um, he was the brother of two local sheriff's deputies. Okay. So, you know, Clifford was a little perturbed <sighs> about that. That he got special treatment during his entire... How is that Patricia's fault? It's it's not. Oy. It's not. Man, this <laughs> not guy one bit. is super garbage. He's super garbage. Super garbage. There apparently is a thing. So he was convinced that he got special treatment during his interrogation. Burns finds out that the detective he's talking to actually worked that case. Oh, my fuck. So, so now he don't trust him no more. The threats <laughs> go deeper. Uh, he, like, has big guns and stuff. <laughs> and um, he's, he's like, I have all these guns. You don't even know what I could do. You don't even know. You don't, you don't even, even know. know. <laughs> Y'all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we got a sidestep on that for a second. Okay. So, okay. <laughs> I'll let you start it. <laughs> we went out on the town. Yeah. To listen. We posted a photo. Yeah. The photo. Mm-hmm. 
this the night of the shenanigans <laughs> to listen to one of our favorite bands. Uh-huh. And it's towards the end of the show, so everyone around us is um hammered. Oh Lord, where are they? And this woman <laughs> this woman who the very end of the show oh at the encore. God. Yeah, they were they were doing an encore thing. She was so fucked up. Her eyes were barely open. And she, this woman was probably old enough to be my mama. Oh, yeah, definitely. And she turns around and is looking like she gets like in Amanda's face. And she's like, you don't even know what's about to happen. You don't know what you're about to hear. You don't know the songs you're about to hear. You don't even Look, know. This bitch is like our eyelashes. <laughs> Amanda could have checked her for strep throat. She was so close to her face. Like... I look at Brittany and I look at this random guy standing there and we're all just like, what, what? the fuck is happening? <laughs> what is happening? She's like, do you know what song they're going to play? Because, because you don't know. You and don't I, even know. I said, well, it's like one of two. It's going to be the Dre song or Manson. Cause like I paused because I couldn't think of what the Dre song was. Yeah. And, and she's like, and you don't even know. She didn't you give don't me a chance, even know. But she was in my face, like waving her fingers and like, you just, you, you're not a fan. You never been here. And I was like, okay. Okay. You gotta go. Uh-huh. And then she turned around, she started grinding on the edge of the stage. I don't know what she was humping, but it was, um, it was interesting. It was an entertaining. entertaining <laughs> it was entertaining <laughs> is the best way to put that. And so, <laughs> so that you don't even know is the thing. <laughs> you don't even know. <laughs> you didn't even know. <laughs> Like, her eyes got real big at that moment. <laughs> she meant business. <laughs> I was like, am I about to get my ass kicked? What is going on? <laughs> Brittany! <laughs> you would have ran. You no, I, ran. I was just standing there in shock. I couldn't even say anything. <laughs> you would have pulled a Rachel. Hi, Rachel. And ran. <laughs> Me and Rachel oh didn't ever God. get any in ever get into any altercations in public, but she had told me about some times in her younger days Ugh. where she kind of stirred a pot and started shit and then took off. <laughs> Rachel! <laughs> She's a big scaredy cat. <laughs> this is my bitch. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry to share your business. <laughs> Same. <But> anyway, <laughs> you don't even know. Dude, it was just a whole night of shit and that just topped it. Uh... It was a weird night. Anyways, he makes a final disgusting insult as he's hauled off to jail. When you go get married, what do they say? What are the last words? This is a very intelligent man here. Till death do us part. Baby doll, get me the fuck out of (laughs) here. Sir. I don't even know how he talks, but that's what I hear in my head. And he's in New York, but. (laughs) You know he don't talk like that in New York. No, but but that's what I hear. Oh my God. And now with that, Clifford Burns is charged with second degree murder and accepts a plea deal. Mm. Although he would later try to go back on that agreement saying his daughters coerced him into signing it. Oh my God. Fuck off. He was not apologetic for anything that he had done that night. He was not apologetic when he got sentenced. Said the, sh- the under sheriff. Yeah, what the fuck is an under sheriff? No, but like someone it. please tell me. We don't. We don't is, have that. Is shit that here. like deputy sheriff? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. So he got twenty three years to life in prison. Good. It's something that these young girls have to live with for the rest of their lives. Although they survived, they're still victims. He said. 
Harley says that he's still her dad and she still has the good memories of him, but he's also a fucking monster. Yeah. Fuck that garbage monster. She doesn't think she can forgive him, but she does want to see him before he dies to get closure. As get part that. of his sentence, he's not allowed to contact Harley or Autumn. So. Good. As for Megan, she will always carry around a permanent reminder of that horrible night. She's a survivor and did a very brave thing that night. The hardest part for both girls is helping their younger sister, Autumn, who made the 911 call. Poor Autumn. Yeah. Well, this was bullshit. There's that. I like yours better. It was funny. Yeah. We should have done mine first. Yeah, this is lame. Let's, <laughs> hey, Steven, let's just flip that. This is lame. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, well, if you want to see all those photos, go to our socials. Yeah, do that. So, yep. And if you have, if you ever have any little tidbits that you want to tell us, talk to us about, send to us, mm-hmm. you know. Like this one it. person did? Yeah. Instead do of that. doing a spooky story this week, we're, we're doing something a little bit different. But yeah, go go to the socials real quick so you can see the photos because we're going to put this on there too. Yeah. Okay. So Stephanie Kelly sent this to us on Instagram. Hey, girl. Thank you so much. She totally understood the assignment. Yes. So she sends this article from Uncharted Lancaster. Mm-hmm. So they had posted this on November 23rd, and I really wish... Oh, shit. This is recent. I know. I really wish we had seen this before Thanksgiving, but here we go. It's called Witchcraft and Murder in Hex Hollow. Oh, Yeah. Murder is the last thing that comes to mind on Thanksgiving, but that's precisely what happened in 1928 when three men broke into the home of Nelson Raymeyer in a misguided attempt to lift an evil curse. Through a series of unfortunate events, Raymeyer was brutally murdered and his body set ablaze. Oh, shit. Details of the horrific event spread like wildfire, quickly becoming national news. So there is a picture right here that would probably be good to share from the Philadelphia Inquirer from Sunday, December 2nd, 1928. This tragic tale begins with John Blymeyer. He was born in York County in 1895. At the time, this was an area of Pennsylvania steeped in the superstition and lore of the Pennsylvania Dutch folk. As late as the early 1900s, this part of the state held strong beliefs in witches, witchcraft, and folk magic. Many people could make a living as witches or powwowers. <laughs> they would cure illness through faith healing using magical powders, potions, and charms. In addition, they could hex and remove hexes as the situation demanded. Every good witch needs a spell book. For the powwower, that was The Long Lost Friend, a book by George, John George Homan. Hmm. Locals described Blymeyer as a simple man suffering from a lifetime of poor health and bad luck. Blymeyer regularly experienced bouts of real and imagined debilitating illnesses and had nearly constant headaches. <laughs> His first child, a boy, died within five weeks of being born. Oh, shit. A second child, a daughter, was born premature and lived only three days. Mm. Eventually, Blymeyer's wife divorced him. He lost his job as his health worsened. Blymeyer slowly became convinced he had been hexed. As a practice, no, as a practicer of powwow, not to be confused with a Native American powwow, 
Blymeyer knew the curse could not be removed until the identity of one of the ones who cast the hex was discovered. Over several years, he consulted more than 20 witches, but none could help. Eventually, Blymeyer made his way to Marietta, where he met Nellie Knoll. Ooh. Nellie. <laughs> I know. I like it. Well into her 90s, oh. she was a witch with a formidable reputation. Through six sessions, Noel teased out that a powerful spell had been cast on Blymeyer. Noel explained this spell, as Blymeyer had expected, was the cause of his bad health and horrible luck. Noel even identified rival witch Nelson Raymeyer as the villain who had hexed Blymeyer. I have heard ah, this story. Yeah. The more I read it, I've heard yep. this. Now, when you just said that, I was like, oh, wait. I'm starting it's to. It's clicking. It's yeah. clicking. I love this. I thought I was having deja vu for a second, and then it was like, no, I know this story. Yeah. Weird. Good job. Freaky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At first, Blymeyer refused to believe it. Ray Meyer had always been kind to him. When he was five years old and suffering from something locals called opnema, a wasting condition believed to be brought on by a hex, but was more likely a form of malnutrition. Okay. Ray Meyer had cured the boy. When Blymeyer turned 10, he returned to Raymeyer as an employee digging potatoes for 25 cents a day. Oh, my God. Yeah. To prove it, Noel told him to take out a dollar bill and stare at George Washington's picture. He did and saw Washington's face dissolve into that of Raymeyer. Oh. Noel explained that to break the curse, he would need to steal Raymeyer's copy of The Long Lost Friend and remove a lock of Raymeyer's hair. <laughs> Next, he had to bury those items six to eight feet underground. Blymeyer knew that despite being 60, the six-foot-two Raymeyer was still powerful, both physically and magically. That's a lot of digging. Mm -hmm. okay. He also knew Raymeyer would not give up his spell book without a fight. So he enlisted two teenagers he had befriended, John Curry, 14, and Wilbert Hess, 18, to help. Hmm. On Thursday, November 27th, under the light of the full moon, Blymeyer and his two accomplices drove to Raymeyer's weathered two-story clapboard farmhouse in Stewartstown, Pennsylvania. That was a wordy sentence. That was a lot of words. I like this photo. But look at the house. Mm -hmm. I would totally live there. Yeah, I really like that. Posting that too. Yeah. Armed with sticks and 25 feet of rope, the trio demanded that the old witch surrender his spell book. When Raymire refused, a fight ensued. Blymire choked him and Curry smashed him in the head with a block of wood. Damn. Yeah. At trial, Blymeyer accused Curry of delivering the fatal blow at 12.01 a.m. on Thanksgiving Day. 12.01, huh? Uh-huh. The three men ransacked the house, searching for the book. Unable to find it, then proceeded to douse Raymire's body with kerosene and set it ablaze. Holy crap. Believing that the curse was finally lifted and all evidence of the crime was about to be erased, Blymeyer and the two boys fled. Oddly enough, Raymire's body... And the old wooden house did not burn. It just smoldered for a while. Many locals believe that even in death, Raymire's powwowing powers were strong. Yeah. Raymire's body was discovered the next day after concerned neighbors noticed that the animals on his farm were unfed. The murdering trio was soon apprehended and stood trial. They were found guilty and sentenced to life behind bars. Later paroled, all three men went on to live normal lives. The, wow. The two-story house remains today with its charred floorboards and a clock above the stove frozen forever at 12.01 midnight. <gasps> That's how they knew. Mm -hmm. Shut up. Ooh. 
What? To learn more, check out the 2015 documentary Hex Hollow, Witchcraft and Murder in Pennsylvania. You can watch it for free on one of three streaming services or here on YouTube. The docu- documentary investigates the 1928 murder of a Pennsylvania farmer and the allegations of witchcraft that shocked the nation. Um, yeah, I'm totally listening to that. Yeah. This is where I heard it. Because it says a place to listen. If you would rather listen, check out episode oh, 60. Yeah. Okay, yep, yep. Check out episode 62, Desperate Measure, on the podcast Lore, where Aaron Mankey tells how folklore and medicine often go hand in hand. In fact, for a long time, they were the very same thing. But folklore has a way of leading people to tragic actions, all in the name of getting better. Y'all, that's one worth checking out. I yeah. love lore. Lore that's is a some very good, good podcast. storytelling. Yeah. And interesting shit. Very interesting. Like this. Just like this. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's exactly where we heard it. Yes, this was fabulous. Thank you, Stephanie, good for sharing. Because I totally would have forgotten about that. Yeah. Oh my god! That, like it was weird. As I was reading, was I like was like two <laughs> years ago when I heard that story. Yeah, I was sitting here reading. And I'm like, this is deja vu. I've done wow. this before. I've read this before. And then it was like, no, you know this story. That's yes. why you feel like that. That was so cool. Thank you, Stephanie. That was perfect. Well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the photo of the house. I want to go. Uh, yeah, I love old houses and shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All righty. Well, now we're done. Yep. That's it. End of the episode. End you guys enjoy your break from our beautiful voices. Happy humping. Happy humping. Seasons creeping. Yeah. All that good shit. Yep. And we'll see you next year. No, we won't see you. No, we'll talk to you well, next we'll year. We'll talk at you next year. Well, we'll be on Facebook and stuff, though. Mm-hmm. Stick around. And, um, all right, guys. Holla. Toodles. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out with us. Don't forget to visit us on Facebook and Instagram for episode picks and announcements. Please rate and review on Apple, Spotify, and Facebook. We want to give a huge shout out to Stephen Goetzky for editing, Greg Weaver for music, and our very own Amanda Hagens for art. <laughs>